my life I has to fight All's my life I Hard times like yeah Bad trips like yeah Nazareth I'm f***ed up homie you f***ed up But if God got us then we gon' be alright everyone this is maria and that's Susie. hey and we're back it's been a little while since we've had an opportunity to check in and talk about education but we wanted to try a variety of platforms or kind of like not platforms we want to try a variety of let me start over we wanted to try different ways of kind of talking about different things i don't know why i'm blinking out on the, the word that i'm looking for it just different formats. There we go. Looking for different formats on how we want to discuss content. And I think today we'd like to just talk about what's going on in education news. So we're going to have a shortened episode. It's not going to be as long and in-depth as some of the other ones that we've done, but I think it's going to be some really good juicy information. And how are you, Susie? (laughs) I'm good. How are you, Maria Lena? (laughs) I'm good. I'm all right. You know, just trying to get my life back together. You know, I, yeah. To the folks listening, I've had I I've come full circle with my career since like <laughs> since the last time um, I recorded an episode. So um, we'll have to talk about that in another one. But I'm glad yes. that we're here together, and I'm really glad that we're recording this episode. Susie, would you start us off with our first story, please? Yes. So our first story is a lot of stories about Florida. And some stuff going down over there. So um, the initial current event article that we wanted to talk about today was the um, 54 rejected math textbooks in Florida this week based on critical race theory and other let me see what they said because it was a very specific thing I read over and over and over again. Um, inclusion of special topics, including critical race theory, social emotional learning. And they were also rejected for Florida has given up the common core state standards. So if they were focused on common core, they also got rejected. Sorry. So I, I, I didn't realize that social emotional learning mm-hmm. was a problem. Can you tell me why, why yes. they have a problem with social emotional learning? I think the problem with social emotional learning is is in math specifically, not broadly. Okay. So it was more about, okay, so this is what the governor of Florida said. Math is about right answers. There's a wrong answer and there's a right answer. You don't need to have social emotional learning in math. So clearly this man has never taught anything in his life. And uh, math is not about the right answer. It's how you get to the right answer. And it's sometimes very frustrating. It's kind of um, students who don't do it well or fast think there's something wrong with them. And so they have low self-confidence. It's also about learning how to work together. And that's why social emotional learning is in math curriculum. But he doesn't think it needs to be. So they were rejected based on social emotional learning. Mm. Yeah. So I wanted to get some context because I also know some things that have happened in Florida is banning critical race theory in the classroom and the um, 
banning abortions after 15 weeks. That's not education related, but education is community and parenting and making choices with how you're going to plan your family is community. So they are kind of related. And then also the um, House Bill 1557, known as the Don't Say Gay Bill. So those are all things happening in Florida right now that I kind of like went back to see how they're all connected um, and why so many of these textbooks were rejected. Can so, I ask you a quick a side yeah. question, Susie? Because I am painfully ignorant about the Don't Say Gay Bill. Can you tell yes. me a little bit more? Because I, I know that... Well, correct me if I'm wrong, because I could be wrong, actually. Um, the word gay is not supposed to be said in schools. Okay, so close, sort of. That's part of it. It is for teachers of kindergartners through third graders that they are not to, that the teachers are banned from holding classroom instruction about sexual orientation and gender identity. And they're, they're saying it is for parent rights, that parents should decide when they have those conversations with their children. And it also said that it's not supposed to be done in a manner that is not developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. So it's a little bit vague to me Mm -hmm. because context is really important. So if you have a kindergartner and kindergartner families have like same-sex parents or a third grader is kind of trying to figure out what their gender identity is and you just can't talk about it, which means you're ignoring them basically. So that's why I have issues with this bill. And it's not all, it's like from fourth grade on, it seems like, I mean, for Florida move along as usual, which probably still means don't talk about it. But so I did get some more information about that. So there's the Trevor Project that is really opposed to it because it says that it erases LGBTQ plus identities, history and culture. So if you are banned from talking about it, you're not, it's basically invisible. And teachers could be put in positions where they get sued for bringing it up. And okay. And then this is, so Disney, as we know, Disney World, Epcot Center. And I think there's a third park that they have down there. Um, is very opposed to this bill and has been very vocal and critical in public about it and has said that they aren't going to donate to political groups. They're going to donate to groups that are actively organizing to oppose this law. So in other Florida news, Apparently in the 60s, when they were building Disney, they decided that Disney would be its own district. They would provide their own services. So like think utilities, roads, firemen, um, all of those things. So they don't pay taxes to the state because they are taking care of their own services. What? It's like its own town. It's like its own town and it's doing its own. Exactly. It's like its own town. So it pays for its own things. So they don't pay taxes like a corporation would. So it's called the Reedy Creek Improvement District. Hmm. The governor is so angry at Disney for this. He is trying to write a law, not trying to, the law has been written, uh, to take that status away from Disney. So I want to make sure I'm clear. Disney does not support the Don't Say Gay bill, right? No, they think you should be able to talk about it 
at any right. age. So they're in favor of curriculum yes. all across all ages where LGBTQ communities are included or mentioned or discussed. And Correct. because of that, the governor of Florida is mm-hmm. basically taking punitive action and taking their status away. Yes. And it is, I learned today that the tax implications aren't clear and there are actual homeowners in the Disney district and they don't know what their tax implications are going to be either. So this could eventually be a hot mess. Um, But this is what DeSantis said. He said, if Disney wants to pick a fight, they chose the wrong guy. I was elected to put the people of Florida first. Hmm. Unless you're a black or brown Floridian or an LGBTQ plus Floridian or someone who wants to go to Disney. Yeah. So when he says I was um, elected to put the people of Florida first, what he means is I was elected to put myself first, which is, hey, <laughs> let's just be honest. Um, that yeah. sounds crazy. And, you know, Holy. I... I I, I do understand that every part of the country has its own political leanings, you know, so Florida has always had its little reputation, right? Like, let's be honest. Yep. And I'm really glad I don't live there. That's all I'm going to say. I hear you loud and clear. And I was just there for like a week and a half. And it is, well, in March anyway, the temperature was great. The sun was great. It was beautiful. There's so many cool animals and plants. And it's just so sad that it's just run by a white supremacist. I Mm. said what I said. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that story, Susie. And I'm sure that that will continue to develop. So I hope that we have an opportunity to come back to that. Because Mm -hmm. I feel like... You know, Florida is a hotbed for a lot of highly political discussions because there's a clash, right? The There's yes. major clashing of communities there. There's a large immigrant population. There's a large elder population. There is, um, you know, there's a large gay population or an LGBTQ yeah. plus population. I mean, there are some really big populations of people who have traditionally have had very different political leanings. And so Florida often has a lot of clashes that kind of dominate the national discussion. And so I'm sure that Mm -hmm. we're going to have more to talk about as far as education goes, because they seem really intent on not discussing certain topics that aren't like anything remotely unpleasant, you know? Yes. And I wanted to say one more thing about this textbook thing. So if anybody's listening, you want to keep an eye out. For this because something might be going down. So when a state or a district or a school adopts a new curriculum, they basically have like a rubric and they score it. And it's like all the things that they're looking for. And then the top two or three with the highest score get field tested in classrooms. And then a committee comes together and then they approve one. So the state was in the rubric scoring phase. And many got rejected with high scores of alignment to the standards, the new Florida standards. I think they're called the BEST, B-E-S-T standards. And if they had a mention of SEL or critical race theory or what did I say, other topics, 
um, they got rejected even if they had a high score based on the standards, which is what we want to teach children. Yeah. So is it? I I thought I don't know. I, so, it is what we want to teach children, but I don't I know. know if Florida, that I don't know what they want to. Yeah, like I don't know if it's a priority to them to make sure that they hit certain grade level standards because it's obvious that their um, priorities or bol- political and religious beliefs take priority over like uh, academics. Percent and and yes yes so. 41%, there were 132 books submitted. 41% of them were rejected. But at the K-5 level, 71% were rejected. And there is one company called, what is it called? It is called um, Accelerate Learning. That was the only one approved. Even if, Even if their score was lower than others, that was the only one that got approved. So accelerate learning. We need to find out who owns it, what their connections are and um, why, why was just this one approved for K five. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that story with us. Susie's the next story that we're going to, Oh, the next story. um, It's about a literacy program in a part of Washington called Wenatchee. And the reason why I want, I thought that this was uh, an important story for us to discuss is because there's a larger issue. Um, it was first covered by a reporter named Dahlia Bazaz or Bazaz um, covered by Seattle times. And basically they wanted to observe and understand how kids are learning to read and why some are still struggling with literacy Um Ultimately, that Wenatchee school area decided to adopt a curriculum that was focused on uh, decoding and basically really focused on like a drill and kill style of helping students learn to read. Um, At the time when they adopted this literacy program, um, students were, I think, 60% were living in poverty, 21% were English language learners, um, and we already know the data saying that if a student makes it to third grade and they are behind grade level and they haven't caught up to grade level by third grade, the gap only continues to widen thereafter and they fall further and further behind. And I Mm -hmm. think that in order to do that preventative work, the teachers in the Wenatchee school district decided that they were going to adopt this curriculum that was um, kind of like, Several grade levels were all doing it, and I don't know exactly what grade level they stopped at. I'm guessing third because that was their goal, like to make sure everyone up to third grade had decoding skills. And for the people listening, decoding is basically like learning how to sound out words when you're looking at a letter or when you're looking at a vowel set and you can recognize what sound it's supposed to make because of basically what you're seeing in front of you and, and and making that association. I would also say that thinking about comprehension is very difficult if you can't even sound out the words that are in front of you. So um, anybody who's newer to education or might not know as much, be aware that decoding always comes first because you can't make sense of text that you can't read. And there's a large conversation, especially when it comes to culturally responsive practice, Susie, I know you know that providing engaging and meaningful content 
makes students much more motivated to Mm -hmm. master the content, right? So when you read students of color about characters that are relatable, or when you read to students who are from a certain area about stories that happen in a place where they recognize or know, or when you read stories to little girls about a little girl, it is much more likely to get them engaged and motivated to develop the skills so that they can access the content. And this particular curriculum doesn't do that because it is so focused on drill and kill. And those people listening who don't know what drill and kill is, it's just drilling you on the basics over and over and over again. It's the same way that people used to learn their times tables back in the day, right? You just memorize it. It's not a matter of like any rich or meaningful content. But the result is that students have just completely shot up their reading scores. The district's data has improved massively. And although they're still tracking it, you know, it, it's still a relatively new study. Um, the, the data so far has been very, has indicated that this has been a very successful thing. And I'm a big fan of culturally responsive content, providing content that we know is meaningful to students. But I also recognize the need for students developing those foundational skills to help them access culturally responsive content. And it brought a larger conversation to my mind. And I was curious to hear what you think, Susie, about... um, like, what do you think of drill and kill in these types of circumstances? Do you think it's justified because there are so many students that were struggling academically and were well behind grade level and ran the risk of never getting towards grade level because of how far behind they were already by the time they finished third grade? Well, I'm wondering about the what what are the things that are there determining it's successful? Are they just doing like fluency tests? Are they only testing if they can actually decode words or are they also testing for comprehension? Do you know? Well, since it it is a decoding curriculum, I'm assuming that they're largely just testing for decoding and fluency. It's an intervention style curriculum. Mm -hmm. And so it's not focused on comprehension at all. It is only really just thinking about how to make sense of letters and letter sounds and like vowel pairs and things like that. Then I'm really interested to know what's going to happen when the third graders become fourth graders and don't understand it. I want to know what the comprehension is because yes, there is value in learning how to decode because you have to be able to sound out words you don't know, but also, not a but, and you also need to know what it is you're reading and understanding it and enjoying it. Are you learning? Are you reading to learn? Are you reading to for entertainment? Like, are you understanding it? That's just my question. I don't, and if it is so successful, what is it and is it coming here? I get nervous. I'm nervous. I guess I a really long way to get to the answer to your question. <laughs> I'm nervous. Well, tell me why. Tell me why you have reservations about it. Because I was talking with a friend recently, the one who shared the article, our, our mutual friend Fran. Hey, Fran. Uh huh. What up? Um, and Fran was like, "I don't think this sounds right." And I was like, "I think it sounds great." And, and she was like, mm. "And I, I, 
I would love to hear from you why you have reservations because I I understand where she was coming from, but I also feel so strongly about developing foundational skills that so many students are lacking. And that is exactly my concern. You have to have those foundational skills, but you're learning to decode so you can comprehend. And if you're only focusing on decoding and not comprehension, then are the students understanding? Because the way I look at literacy is about information. You're either getting information or you're giving information, right? So you're either, and if you're not getting the information, are you actually reading? So, and as someone who has done these literacy, fluency, comprehension tests thousands of times, there are learners and beginning readers who can very beautifully read many words per minute without making a single mistake and have no idea what they just read. All their cognitive energy went to making sure they read fluently and perfectly. None of it went to understanding what was happening on the in the yeah, words. Absolutely. That, and those kid, are my reservations. As a kid, I definitely was that person. I read beautifully. And if you ask me what I just read, <laughs> I don't know. And I think a lot of that was because, you know, growing as a kid growing up in the 90s, there really was not a huge emphasis on like really explicit instruction around comprehension. It really was just yeah. like teaching kids to decode. And then like, now it's up to you to figure out what you just read. Right. Um, but I, I think for me, the reason why I thought that this seemed like it had potential or it seemed promising potentially is because as someone that has worked in a lot of title one schools with really high mm-hmm. needs populations and students who are so, 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 so far from academic progress um, from, I'm, I'm sorry, that didn't make sense. Students who are so far from being at grade level yeah, because they're making progress, but the progress they're making is not enough to compensate for the gap that they have. Right. So they're right. if you make a year's worth of growth and you're two years behind, then you're still two years behind at the end of the year because everyone else just moved up a year at the least at the least. Right. Um, and that's if you made a full year's worth of growth. Right. Um, but I, I've seen so many students that still cannot sound their letters out and are not recognizing letter sounds, right? Not, not, there, there's a lot of guessing, you know, and some of yeah. the guesses are like, correct. Some of it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's close enough. Like I can tell that you see the B there, but there are other times when it's like, where the hell did you get that word kid? Like, are you sounding that out? You know, literally sometimes they'll be like zebra and it's like where's the z where's the z do you see it i don't see it so i think that when it comes to decoding as as i i agree with you in the long run there has to be some other kind of support for mm-hmm. comprehension and sense making of the literary content that they are um churning out or pr- putting in or processing but i also think that this has to be, they have to have this down pat before they work towards that. Yeah. And this goes back to this like age old debate of like whole language versus phonics instruction, right? Like 
Are we going to teach all about what the text is about and not teach them how to decode? Are we going to teach them only how to decode and how and not how to get meaning from the text? But like, you know, you got to have both and you got to have it in multiple ways. So, I mean, if it's successful, then I think it should be part of literacy programs. I don't think it should be the literacy program, but it should definitely be part because you're right. You have to be able to decode. Yeah. And you don't even have a chance for comprehension if you can't sound the letters out. And I just, I see too many students. I'm a fourth grade teacher. Mm -hmm. I see too many students getting to fourth grade that still can't sound their words out. Yes. And when you get to like fifth, sixth, seventh grade, high school, and um, I think like part of programs need to be also learning Greek and Latin roots because you can figure out what a word is based on the roots that you see. And we don't do that enough either. Like like when you get, you, you never stop decoding. You might know the majority of the words on the paper, but once you start learning new things, academic vocabulary is always going to trip you up and you need to have those decoding skills your whole life. Agreed. And I feel really proud to say that I did Greek roots with my students last week. Thank you. You're welcome. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> And um, Susie, why don't you end things off with the last story? Okay. What was the last story? I don't remember. Um, I think I did two stories in one. Oh, that's right. <laughs> it was supposed to be, yeah, okay, don't say gay yeah. and the critical race and theory. The, All and the of- book banning, not book banning, but book rejections. Well, here's some question. Here's a question I have for you. Um, I mean, because we're we're checking in, we're talking about Ed News. What's the news with Susie right now, and as far as education goes? Uh, well, let's see. I just started spring quarter, and I only have one class to teach, so that's good. You guys, um, I don't Less know if everybody knows. This. Susie teaches at a, at a university, and tell us more, please. I am an adjunct professor at City U in a couple of their teacher education programs. Um, And this quarter, I am teaching the second part of the residency class. So that's all of the students in one program who are currently student teaching. Okay. So we talk about this, this, these kinds of things. We talk about problems of practice. We talk about current events in education. We talk about things they need to be able to understand and have like a stance on. And then, you know, this is what a teacher evaluation looks like. This is how you work with your team. This is how you plan. So all kinds of fun stuff. And What's like new me? with you? Oh, well, before we talk about me, are you liking it? How's it going? I really do enjoy working with people who are wanting to become teachers. They're a fun group of people. Cool. Sometimes they get really stressed out, but it's like they don't believe me when I say it's all going to be fine. It's fine. No, really, I promise it'll be fine. So it's fun. Cool. Um, I'm doing well. I am teaching fourth grade, um, and I'll tell – we'll do a whole – episode yeah. at some point about kind of the journey that I've been on Chinook with Maria Elena <laughs> and Susie. Cause we've both been through such a journey this past year as mm-hmm. educators and, and, and really speaking honestly about our experience and the doubt that we've had for our, our, our careers or 
put doubt around our careers or trying to figure out what the right direction is. That's been really um, challenging, I think, for both of us. And I don't think that we're unusual in that sense. I think that there's a a big population of, of educators and teachers, people who work in education that are not totally sure where they lie or stand right now. Totally agree with you. Yeah. But that's really the episode, y'all. I mean, it was a really short one. We just wanted to give you a few updates on some things happening in education, like the don't say gay bill, the banning of books um, based on critical race theory. And also this idea of adopting content that's focused on drill and kill is that in the best interest of students? Is that in the best interest of whatever the objective is? Or does there need to be a more comprehensive situation happening so that students can understand the big picture of why they're decoding content? And we can also say that memorization is, for me, I feel like memorization is important in lots of other things like multiplication and division. I'm doing that with my students right now. And yes, it's important for them to understand conceptually like what division is and what multiplication is. But at the end of the day, they need to know the standard algorithm. Yes. And why it works. But a lot of of curricula do not emphasize standard algorithm as much as they emphasize the conceptual piece. All right, y'all. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us. Please let us know what you think. Don't hesitate to get in touch and share your thinking. We'll be in touch soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Okay, everyone. So we ended the episode, but then Susie started dropping some knowledge and I had to, I had to press record because I'm like, people need to hear this. What we're talking about is important. So Susie, will you kind of, if you can, if you don't mind just going back just a little bit and and Mm -hmm. saying what you were saying about decoding and the connection with drill and kill from math and multiplication. Mm -hmm. I was telling Maria Elena that I found commonalities between the like decoding focus in the article she brought up from the Wenatchee schools and this idea about learning the standard algorithm and that there's a lot of research happening on how kids learn to decode and how kids learn to comprehend, but there isn't research out there in how do you teach teachers how to figure out what kind of learners you have in your classroom. So if I have some kids that really would benefit from just knowing the standard algorithm and just knowing how to decode, I need to figure out who they are. And that's how I'm going to teach them how to read and do math. And if I have some that they haven't even seen a book, then I need to like figure out how to do that. If there's some that they can tell you exactly what they're doing and they know exactly how a situation is going down in math. And I need to like focus that. So like, instead of this whole language versus phonics or standard algorithms versus conceptual math, how do we figure out which one of those things our students actually need? And we focus on them because as teachers, we need to know all of it, but as students, they need, we need to figure out how to teach them what they need. Is that what you wanted me to say? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's what you wanted to say. Yeah. (laughs) And I think for me, like, so, you know, I, I'm a huge believer in differentiation. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I love, coming up with plans for differentiation. 
And I'm aware that there's only so much time in the day to provide that level of support. And I also am aware that the level of planning that one must do to every day have differentiated for the people who are listening. Differentiation means basically having plans ready for people at various entry points or levels, right? So students who need support, just like getting started, understanding what it is that we're doing or students who've already shown mastery, you know, they might all be in the same class and you have to find a way to make sure that everyone is making some kind of progress. And so Mm -hmm. what I hear you saying, Susie, is that there has to first be a clear understanding of really being how we can really tailor the instruction so that all students are making progress. Yes. Um, And so that would look different based on each student. But I think the challenge is that that level of tailoring, that level of differentiating can become really consuming and Mm -hmm. difficult to accommodate for all of the core subjects, right? Like I can make that level of differentiation in literacy But if I'm doing literacy and math or reading and math and writing and social studies, you know, I'm thinking of all these different ways to differentiate in every class every day. And these aren't small differentiations, right? Because some students are functioning at first and second grade level and other students are functioning at sixth grade level or seventh grade level. Um, That requires a lot. And I'm not saying I don't do it because I, you have to, like you, you have to, there's no way you can teach Otherwise, there will literally just be children sitting there. Like if you're making the lesson too hard, the kids who can't access the content won't Mm -hmm. start. (laughs) Right. And the students who already know the content will do it for about three or four minutes and Mm -hmm. they're done. So now what? Um, Yeah. But I also feel that when we think about drill and kill, in some ways, drill and kill does challenge most people. Yes. If the drills match the student's ability, like if all kids are getting the same drill, it's going to be the same thing as what you just described. So like you'd have to have whoever's on this, like like in multiplication, if you've taught all the way up to the nines, but you've got a few kids who still haven't mastered the threes or the threes, then there's no way they're going to be successful. They need to stay on threes until they can. You know what I mean? Like it still needs to be differentiated, but that's a much easier, quicker differentiation skill set than how are you going to teach multiplication versus just drilling it? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I I, I see the dangers of drill and kill for sure, Um, especially with no conceptual support on like what it is that you're actually doing. Or, you know, um, we've been working on double-digit multiplication and long division. Like, when you're doing double-digit multiplication and you have 22 times 55, making sure kids understand that the five in the tens place is not five ones. It's five tens. And that would actually give us, if five tens times two tens gives us 1,000, not 10. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Am I making sense? Yeah. Yeah. You're basically saying if you're talking about foundational skills to be able to do something, you have to have that foundational skill of understanding place value in order to do that. So you need to make sure your kids 
have that before you can teach them. Otherwise, yes, the randomness of. But if you don't even know your times tables, you can't access what I'm talking about right now. No, no. And that has been the challenge, right? Like we're doing division right now. We're talking about like, okay, you know, long division, you're trying to teach standard algorithm and you can help them make sense of it conceptually if they already know the standard algorithm, but there are Mm -hmm. kids who still don't even know their times tables. And so they're busy like counting on with their fingers still. And we're having a conversation about what the numbers represent. Yes. That's why I feel so strongly about drill and kill because at least it gets the calculation and the actual technical part out of the way so that you can go deeper and have a more meaningful conversation. Yeah. Yeah. My friends, this is goodbye for real this time. (laughs) For real. (laughs) Thank you, Susie. Appreciate you. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. Bye.